All right. Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. My name is Josh Pollard. I'm the adult ministries pastor here at Renovation Church. And my family and I just celebrated our very first white Christmas. Isn't that great? Round of applause for snow. Let's hear it. You guys kind of lack some enthusiasm with the snow clapping there. I understand. Um, see, my family and I just moved here from California this past year, and we do things a little differently in California, especially around Christmas time. Like, but I feel like Minnesota is kind of rubbing off on us and kind of changing us, our family. Like, get this, my daughter wanted a cat for Christmas. Can you believe that? <laughs> I mean, in California, we always had a turkey for Christmas, but I guess new place, new traditions, you know, whatever. <laughs> Whatever makes kids happy and feel at home, I guess. I'm just No, he didn't eat a cat for Christmas. Don't worry. Um, because obviously what goes good with cat? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, turkey, you got mashed potatoes. And it was turkey. Don't worry. It worked out. Anyways, we're going to be in Luke 12 today to get to business. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 54 to 59. And we've been studying Luke for quite a while as a church, just sitting in it and marinating in it and letting it show us what it wants to for our lives. And you can follow along in the Bibles under your chair on page 846, if you'd like, or on the Renovation Church app, or also on the screen behind me as we go. So let's pray as we get into this today. <clears throat> uh, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and teach us today. We want to worship you through listening to your word. We want to praise you through, for the good things that you do in our lives. Thank you for all you teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we begin today's passage. And when we come upon Jesus in today's passage, he's speaking to a huge crowd of people. A huge crowd. But it doesn't start that way. Because back in chapter 11, it starts the whole scene with this line. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And from there it builds. And I can just see it building in my mind. I imagine there's a camera Zoomed in on Jesus' face, and his face is down, and there's shadow over it, and his, he's perfectly still. Maybe there's sweat dripping off his brow because he's in the desert, and it's hot, and his lips are mumbling some silent prayer that, God, I wish I knew what he was saying. And his face is perfectly focused, and the background is all fuzzed out, so you're focused on him. And suddenly his lips stop shaking, and he breathes, and he lifts up his face into the light, and one of his disciples' face breaks into the frame. And he says, Jesus, I have a question and Jesus stands up, and he starts speaking to his disciple, and the camera pans back and up, and suddenly more disciples come into the picture, and he's speaking to all of them, answering their questions left and right, and the camera pans up and out, and more people start to hear what he's saying, and they start to come in and gather in, and the camera pans back and up, and more people are bending their ears and grabbing their friend's arm and coming over, and the camera pans back and up, and you start to get that weird fisheye lens, because you know they'd, they'd film this on a GoPro, of course, because it's a cool scene, so they back up more and more, and more people are running in and jumping over hedges and pushing each other like it's free Culver's night at David Soren's house, and they're running in, and they're pulling their friends until you get to today's verse, and it said that a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another just to hear what this Jesus guy was talking about. And this is what Jesus says to this unruly crowd in chapter 12, and it's what we're going to hear today. He says to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. 
And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, how is it that you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky? How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison, and I tell you, you're not going to get out until you paid the last penny. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. And this is one of the ways we know Jesus wasn't from Minnesota because the forecast isn't that reliable here. You know, he'd have to change it. You know, you see a cloud rising, you say it's going to rain, you get 8 to 12 inches of snow. You see the south wind blow, you say it's going to be hot, but bring a sweater because it's Minnesota. Um, well, like Pastor David, I am a cardophile, which just means I like maps. Don't worry. Um, and if we look at this map here, we can see more about what Jesus is talking about. So over here in the Mediterranean, we've got a low-pressure system building that's going to bring in some precipitation over the next day. But then don't worry, we're going to get a ridge of high-pressure building in the south that's going to blow in some hot air and dry us out by tomorrow afternoon. Back to you, Tina. Now, this isn't just any rain or heat that we're talking about here. The Greek word here for rain is like a wet rain, like a rain rain, like a violent storm. Like, you know, in the book of Jonah, that storm that made the sailors throw Jonah off the boat just to get the rain to stop? That's what we're talking about. And the hot wind here isn't just hot in Greek. It's like hot, hot, like scorching hot, like frying egg on the cement hot. Like that hot wind in the book of Jonah that beats down on his head at the end, that's the kind of hot we're talking about. And the point here is not that the weathermen seemed to have an easier job back then or be more accurate. The point is that these people could look out and know immediately with conviction and confidence that trouble was coming. They could discern with the danger and destruction that was looming on the horizon. They could use their wisdom and their intellect and their rationale to prepare for floods and famine that were coming. You know, the human mind that we have is amazing. It is truly awesome. Our ability to look out and use our minds to rationally explore what we see and examine our experiences is truly remarkable. There is nothing in all of creation like the power of the human mind. Praise God for that gift. Because of it, my kids won't die from measles. Because of it, I can travel the world effortlessly. Because of it, all of us softies can get through a Minnesota winter in relative comfort. It's truly amazing, and praise God for the human mind. We couldn't do any of these things without the powerful gift that God has given us. And Jesus knows that the human mind is awesome. He made it, and he had one. So in today's verse... He doesn't say that they're wrong for interpreting the appearance of the earth or the sky. Or that they shouldn't use their minds to help address the cares of the world. What he says is that they are hypocrites. We boast about our ability to reason ourselves out of difficult situations and into relative comfort 
with confidence. We are good at that. We really are. But Jesus points out that we don't always put our brains to work on the right things. We spend so much time cramming so much information into our brains. Some of it useful, some of it completely frivolous. We know all the stats for our favorite teams. We know all the minutia of our daily professions. We know what color Chip and Joanna would paint the shiplap on the wall over there. We know what the politicians said yesterday and what the comedians will say about them today. We know which lures catch bass and which catch walleye. At least one or two of you knows way more about birds than a normal person should. <laughs> but we're not here to point fingers. It's okay. We spend so much mental effort with these amazing brains we have on trivial things. Things that will come and go. Things of only temporary importance, if any at all. We think we're good judges at what is significant and how to live life well and how to spend our time and our energy in the world today. But I have to ask, is our judgment right? Have we used our minds well to determine what's important enough to pay attention to while we have the opportunity? So let's look at what Jesus says. He says, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? And what's fascinating, I think, in his response is that he uses the word hypocrite, and then he uses the word judge. And the word hypocrite in Greek has the same root word as the word judge. So it's like a play on words, kind of. And then the prefix hypo means substandard, like hypothermia is when your body temperature is substandard. As you pronounce it in Minnesota, February, I think. I'm working on my Minnesota accent still. I'll get it. So he calls them hypocrites. He's saying their judgment is subpar. Their intellectual powers are not enough to really save them from the destruction they're actually facing. He's not telling them not to use their minds. Just that their minds are pointed in the wrong direction. They're staring at the horizon for passing events that they can prepare for like storms and blistering winds. But they have not paid enough attention or spent enough mental energy on the things that really matter and have eternal consequences to recognize the real danger they're currently in. They want to know the future, but they have ignored their failure. They can predict a change in the climate that is coming, but they can't perceive a change in the kingdom that's happened. They're focused on watching for the weather of the day instead of the wonder of the ages. And yes, a storm is coming, but a Savior has already come. And yet they've trained their minds to be watching for wisps of clouds. And haven't so many of us done the same thing? And the answer is yes. Yes, we have. And I believe in part because humans are overwhelmingly creatures of habit. And habits are created by spending time and doing actions and thinking thoughts in the same direction over a certain period of time. And the more repetitions you spend doing something one way, the more likely you are to do it that way again the next time. And the harder it will be to not do it that way. Thought patterns are like riverbeds carved in the landscape of your mind. 
And the more and more water that goes down that riverbed, it carves it deeper and wider. And the more and more water will tend to go down that same pathway in the future. And once you want to divert that water, you have to dam that unwanted, polluted river of thoughts up with a large, strong dam to give streams a chance to develop, a chance to reshape the landscape of your mind and eventually form into more desirable, life-filled rivers of thought. And we do that by spending our time with intentionality and accountability. Those are the two builders of new habits, of new patterns of thoughts and actions, of new ways of forming your mind so that your judgment isn't such that Jesus calls you a hypocrite. Most churches, including ours, do this really well, I think, through things like worship and prayer. You know, we worship God with songs every Sunday morning right here. And we do it at encounter nights on Wednesday nights a couple times a year. And we do it at Christmas services. We sing at youth group and we sing on our drive with our Christian radio station. Maybe even when we work out. It gives us the habit of singing praises to God because you've done it so much. It's easy to break out in praise because that river has been made wide and deep with repetition. And with prayer... We as a church have held each other accountable to growing and developing the habit of prayer. We've done that in our church through several things. Things like the prayer meetings before every single service on Sunday mornings. Things like the prayer table in the back of the room. Things like putting in prayer requests on your connection cards or through the Renovation Church app. Or prayer exercises in your small group. Or prayer as a large group in your house group. Or I've seen several of you pray with friends out in the hallway even. What this does is that you become practiced at praying, and you develop a robust habit of praying. So when life happens, you have the habit of turning toward prayer. Your thoughts automatically go down into that deep and wide riverbed. But the area that most Christians in America especially struggle with today to make good habits in thinking is in biblical literacy, just knowing the Bible well. You know, we say we love the Bible, We believe it's God's word, but we don't actually spend that much time reading it. It's no secret. So when we face a problem in life, the riverbed in your mind that's been carved out by Scripture is quite shallow when compared with the riverbeds that have been carved out by your politics or your professional training or your cultural bias or your own tactics of self-preservation. And so your thoughts will tend to go in those directions instead of to your training and what the Bible teaches us. It's just habit, just mental habit. Do you think in a biblical direction? Do you see through a biblical lens? Or are you too practiced at thinking a different way about things for your life to flow through the riverbanks of Scripture? What is the habit you are forming? You know, we work very hard to train our hearts to love God, and that is wonderful, but please don't neglect to train your mind. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, reminds us in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, that we need to worship God with our minds as well. He says, what should I do then? I will pray with the Spirit, but I will pray with the mind also. 
I will sing praises with the spirit, but I will sing praises with the mind also. So worship God by training your mind. Spend the time and mental energy marinating yourself in scripture. The better you know scripture, the better you can help yourself and the people around you to see God in life. Just the other day, Pastor David came into my office and he was telling me about one of his favorite theologians, which he often does. He's got a lot of them. His name was R.A. Torrey, and Torrey said that he would covertly try to work quoting scripture into his conversations without mentioning that he was doing it. Like, he wouldn't be like, you know, Carl, the book of Genesis says that, that, that. No, he would just say it. And he would do this in part because the Bible is called God's sword. And whatever it says is going to be sharper. It's going to be more powerful. It's going to cut deeper and get closer to that person's heart than any clever thing that he could come up with. But to know how to wield that sword well, we've got to practice with it. We need to spend time with it. We need to read it. And I don't mean a daily verse that you get texted. I mean large swaths of it, three, four, five chapters at a time, whole books at a time in one sitting so that your mind can be shaped around it. So you develop the habit of thinking in Scripture. But we don't only train our minds to think We don't grow our minds through biblical literacy only, but by processing all of that Bible reading theologically. Now, you may often hear me say, if if we've hung out at all, that we don't learn best by experiencing, but by reflecting upon our experience, right? Theology, which means the study of God, is just reflecting on what we've read in the Bible. It's the practice of trying to understand what the Bible teaches in an organized and logical way. And in the summer, here at Renovation, we offer theology classes called Renovation U, which are awesome. Get in those. Sign up. It's going to be great. John McCormick, people. Uh, But you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for the summer to start digging into theology. Don't just shrug your shoulders at the difficult questions you have about God. I don't know. Figure out that thing that Christians say they believe but seems crazy to you. You know? Or get clarity on the things that you may believe, but you don't actually understand. Things like, how do we explain the Trinity? Or was Jesus actually alive? Or why did he have to die, and why didn't God just snap his fingers and make all this thing go away? What do other faiths say about Jesus, and does it hold up under scrutiny? Why are there four Gospels and not just one? Everyone has something about their faith that they wonder about. There's always a sense of wonder when you're dealing with the God of the Bible. But don't leave those wonders unexplored. To leave those wonders unexplored is to leave God unexplored. Those wonders are a gift to be enjoyed, an invitation to wrestle with the creator, an invitation to dance with the author of life. And let me tell you, he's a good dancer. So maybe you're thinking, this is great. Where do I start? What do I do? Here's some tips. First thing I'd recommend is that you get a good study Bible. If you don't have one, they are great. Usually at the bottom of the page, they'll have some commentary from some very learned people that kind of explain what the passage is about, help give you some clarity. And there are many types of study Bibles. Some of them are for specific audiences, like a men's study Bible or a teen study Bible. And others are more generic or academic. So you get one that works for you. If you aren't sure, the ESV study Bible is a great one. 
That's for the English Standard Version. That's a great one. If you don't have one, get one. They're great. Second thing I would recommend is that you get into a house group. Surround yourself by people going in the same direction. Some of the people in house groups have been Christians twice as long as I've been alive. I probably can't say that much longer, but I can still say it, I think, so I'm going to say it. Some people in our house groups aren't Christians, and they bring up really honest and good questions that we might not have otherwise. And if you are already in a house group, in a small group, bring up your questions. Ask them. The third thing is that there are a ton of wonderful resources out there that you can check out. One is the YouVersion Bible app that you can get on your phone. It's free. And it has Bible reading plans that work for any schedule. And you can do them with friends. You can do them with family so that you can stay on track and ask people questions as you go. You can comment on them, I believe. They even have most translations in audio format, so you can just listen to the passage if you don't want to read it. It even sends you notification reminders to help you not forget. So check out the YouVersion Bible app. A great website you can check out is gotquestions.org. It's a really good site for people with questions about the Bible, and they've answered over half a million Bible questions at this point. So if you've got a question, they can help you get some clarity on your question, and they also help point you to other resources that are specific to your question, which is great, so that you can get further down the road in that question. As far as books go, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis is a classic. It's fun and easy to read, and it does a decent job of diving into Christian theology. And you can get it at your local Anoka County Library branch. Shout out to the library. They've got it in the book form. They've got the e-book. They've got the audio book. So get it. Check it out. It's great. If you're ready to take the next step down that book road, I would recommend checking out the book we use for our Renovation U course in the summer. It's called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, and it's an excellent resource for exploring biblical theology in more depth, but it's written in a way that anyone can understand. So check those out. They're great places to start. Now, if I was sitting in your seat right now, I know what I'd be thinking. I'd be thinking, that sounds great, but I just don't have time, right? I want to be that person. I want to do all those things, but at the end of the day, I'm just so tired. I was visiting a house group a couple months ago and sitting in on a small group, and this we're talking about this very thing about how we all want to read Scripture more, we want to pray more, but we're just so busy. And we're so tired. We all have little kids, you know, so we're up all night. And uh, one guy spoke up, and he said, you know what, guys? My mom always used to say, you always have time to do the things you want to do. And I thought that was so true. It was a mic drop moment. And I had time, you know, last year to watch all 20 seasons of Law & Order SVU. But I didn't have time to read the Bible. Here's some statistics for you. I know people love statistics. Here are some for you. It takes roughly 70 hours to read the Bible front to back. The average American spends 730 hours a year on social media. And then on top of that, they spend another 1,400 hours a year watching TV. So the problem is not a lack of time. It's a lack of motivation. My experience is that we struggle with this because we see studying the Bible and doing theology as an academic task. 
as homework, not as worship. So practically, that means two things for us. One, it means you need to pray for God to help you see it as an act of worshiping him and for him to give you the power and the motivation to do it. We never move closer to God without his help. Anytime we grow closer to God is a little miracle, not an act of will. Being motivated to read scripture is something that needs to be on your prayer list, not just your to-do list. And two, it means that we probably need to intentionally give something up. If you gave up your social media time and instead read the Bible, you could read the whole Bible ten times this year. And then if you gave away your TV and spent that time reading the Bible, you could read it another 20 times this year. But instead of reading the Bible 30 times this year, we have traded that for more political posts and more commercials and searching for more things to entertain us and pander to our appetites. And we wonder why we don't have brains that are practiced at thinking biblically. We think we can because we went to house group for two hours this week, and we got our verse of the day, and then we went to church for 90 minutes. But when you look at the numbers alone in the competition for influencing your judgment and ability to interpret life, then it is no surprise that Jesus wants us to consider if we are hypocrites. If we are poor judges. So instead of going to see the new Star Wars again, Read the book of Luke. It would take you about the same amount of time, about two and a half hours. And we've been studying it as a church for like a year and a half. So take the time to read it front to back in one sitting. You would make the time for Star Wars. You probably already have. So make the time to worship God through reading Luke. You always have the time to do the things you want to do. Now, on the other hand... Some of you might be thinking, you know, if I read too much theology or think about it too much, I'm going to get all mixed up in the head. Or it might even lead me away from God. You know, there's this, this sense that much of the higher education and academia in America is anti-Christian, maybe. Or that there's this feeling that pervades our culture that intelligence is not compatible with faith. That if you really look rationally at the world, and even at Scripture, then you'll be forced into a corner where you'll have to confess that all this Christianity stuff is just cultural conditioning and wishful thinking. And that, my friends, is simply not the case. There is no necessary barrier between great intellectual pursuit and genuine Christian faith. When I lived in California, I lived in Pasadena. And if you know Pasadena at all, you know that it is uh, the home for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. It's the West Coast base for NASA's mission. All their manned missions with people on them are run out of Houston. You know, Houston, we have a problem. All the robot missions are run out of Pasadena. And one, like one of my friends is the guy that drives the Mars rover around Mars. He's like an actual person in Pasadena. Pasadena is also the home for the California Institute of Technology. That's Caltech, they call it. It's always like one of the world's greatest universities every year with like MIT and Harvard and Oxford and Yale and all those. It's the same place where Einstein and Hubble together discovered that the universe is expanding, right? 
There's a lot of dedicated intellectuals in Pasadena, a lot of smarty pants people. And do you know who goes to the churches in Pasadena, who packs those churches? They're full of genius scientist people. Because if you're genuine with your pursuit of truth and you don't stop at some roadblock of your heart, then you will find Jesus. There is no danger to studying Jesus if you are genuine because he is the way, the truth, and the life. All genuine pursuit of truth will eventually lead you to him if you keep pressing on. And yes, it takes work. Yes, it takes effort. It'd be easier to stop at some mental roadblock and give up. Some of our questions might take years or even decades to grow into, but remember why you are here. Remember that life is short. Our ultimate goal is not to become experts at trivial worldly information. It's to become experts at our God. Life is short and many will perish, Scripture says. When you meet your maker one day, what will you tell him you became an expert in? What will he see that you shaped your mind around? Sports trivia? Political theories? Your job? Or will you say that you learned about him and how to point other people to him? That's what we call a good investment of time and energy. Invest in the eternal. Now, back in Luke chapter 10, a guy comes up to Jesus, and he asks what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And the answer was that we should love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our strength, and with all our mind. The consequence of letting our brains spiritually rot are quite serious for Jesus. Having good judgment is not something to be taken lightly. We must invest mental energy into our spiritual strength and vice versa. I'll leave you with what I learned from John Piper on this passage, and that's that the logs of biblical truth that we throw into the furnace of our minds are what keep the flame of affection for God in our hearts white hot. If your heart is cold, consider warming it by the fires of your mind. If your heart feels like it's made of lead, try floating it between the riverbanks of a scripture-shaped mind. As a young person, I heard a lot of sermons about how we might mentally assent to scripture and to the idea of God, but we can't emotionally commit. I think it's the other way around for a lot of us. I think we can jump on board with our hearts, but we leave our brains on the shore. But the heart and the mind are always a package deal in Scripture. A humble and discipled mind is a fertile field where the passions of the heart can take a deep root and bear good fruit. So continually pray, brothers and sisters, that God gives you the power and the motivation to take the time and energy to worship him with your mind. He loves to help us worship him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we want to worship you. We want to get to know you. We want to spend our days staring at you and not the clouds. Write your word on our hearts. Change our minds. Change our lives. 
so that we can worship you better because you are worth it. Help us to see that you are worth the effort. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.